Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you're listening from. Welcome to episode 17 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I'm your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. Welcome, Dad. Hello, and welcome back to this week's Heritage Podcast. Uh, This week, we welcome a gent I've known for many years and one of the few players that's progressed from the school and junior playing fields of Wakefield to the England International Arena. This week, we welcome Nigel Wright. Nigel, thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure, guys. Hope you're all all right. Good to be on. Excellent stuff. I'm not doing too bad. Um, What have you been up to, Nigel? I know you mentioned you've you've been keeping eye on Wakefield's results this, this past couple of weeks. We're doing quite well at the minute. Yeah, it's pleasing to see. Um, obviously, kept an eye on the results. Um, don't get to as many games as what I what I like to do. Obviously, living down south at the moment, so um, yeah, the uh, the viewing on Sky and Channel Four is doing great at the moment. So um, yeah, great to see the boys doing well and um, and get a couple of wins on the board. Excellent stuff. We ask this same question to everyone, Nigel, who comes on the podcast, and it's the first one we always do. So, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Uh, it's home, guys. It's it's my club. It's it's where I'm from. It's uh, it's what I've known all my life. Been brought up that way through my old man Terry, and um, obviously been down there as a kid watching, and and had the privilege and pleasure to play for the guys as well. So uh, for the team, so uh, Wakefield's home, and it always will be. It's where I'm born and where I'm bred. Yeah, you you were born and bred, like you say, around Wakefield area. Do you think rugby league was always ingrained in you? Do you feel like you were destined to be playing a rugby league? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's something you always dream of as a kid, um, you know, without sounding too big-headed. I'm a reasonably good player at football as well and had the opportunity at 14 and 15, just before I signed professional forms for Wakefield, to maybe go uh, sign the same kind of forms at, at Barnsley football as well. Um, the rugby league is what I've grown up with and, you know, from playing for the school and, and then for Stanley Rangers, you know, sometimes a couple of games every weekend, it wasn't a hard choice. And it's one that I've always wanted to do was, was play professional rugby league. So um, when it came to the uh, the time to make that decision, it was easy for me. And, uh, and as I said, signing for Wakefield was was what I uh, always wanted to do. Good stuff. I didn't know that Barnsley story. I didn't know you were that. I knew you played football, but I didn't know the Barnsley story. Yeah, there was a few of us um, at the time. And, you know, Stanley Rangers had a really good team as, as kids back then and, and coached by uh, the one and only Terry Crook, who's just been uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. So congratulations, Terry. Um, but yeah, he, he had a great, great bunch of kids down there and, and coached us really well. And myself and the likes of Barry Eaton and, and Richard Goddard and Paul Crook and Jimmy Gittins. Um, you know, we were all in the same team, but three or four of them, was were half decent at football too and I think Barry went on and Richard uh, did sign their football contracts and went on to play football but at the same time I decided to uh, to stay in the sport that I loved and that was play for and, and sign for Wakefield. Nice one. You've half, you've half mentioned the next question. Uh, many people already on podcasts we've talked to have mentioned Terry Crook has been an inspiration in their early career. Obviously the same for you? Yeah, definitely. Um you know, Terry had me as a, as a kid at six and, you know, his knowledge not only of the game, but 
how to handle you. It sounds silly because she was such a young lad at the time, but I went right through my amateur career with, with Terry and, and at every level that we went to next, you know, he knew how to, to get the best out of you without overstepping the mark. And you, as you are still kids, uh, but he more or less taught me everything I knew, you know, pre-professionalism. And, um, you know, I've got a lot to thank Terry for, um, for, for the career that I had, even though it was cut slightly, slightly short. But, um, you know, without Terry, I probably would have not got where I was at the time. And, and you know, he, he's got a lot to uh, for me to thank him for. He certainly has, yeah. A lot of people echo that uh, with TC. Um, around about the same era, he, uh, through the schools, is it right you got picked for England as an under-16s? Yeah, I, uh, I went on to the tour in France um, just prior to, to signing professional falls with Wakefield. It was all, um, you know, we'd had the chats with Wakefield and then I got picked to, for the England schoolboys, you know, with the likes of Andy Fadl and, and people like that. Um, we went across to France. Um, I managed to captain the England schoolboys on a couple of occasions while out there. And then as I came back and, and that's when I signed my uh, my professional contract at Wakefield. But there was a little bit of doubt, not so much doubt from Wakefield, but I actually brought my wrist out there. Again, another injury. But um, So I spent a few days in a French hospital and came back with my uh, my wrist cast on up to my elbow. And um, obviously I was worried that Wakefield might pull the plug at the time and uh, and, and withdraw the contract until I proved my fitness. But they didn't. They, um, you know, they wanted me to sign there and then. So... Um, yeah, it was on the on the tour that I brought my wrist playing for England um, schoolboys. That was, I was just going to say that was the first time I, when the first time I met you, uh, nineteen ninety. You, you had a plaster cast on your arm. You probably you probably cut it off for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was back then, obviously. And um, as I said, it, I, I did did the break on the tour to to France, but uh, luckily the the break healed pretty well. And uh, as I said, I was in your capable hands thereafter. So how did the Trinity, obviously rewind a little bit, how did the Trinity signing come along? I vaguely remember you telling me many years ago about a trial at Eastmore or some game at Eastmore. Yeah, yeah it was a, a cup, well, cup semi-final, I think, or possibly a final. Um, and I knew there were, there were clubs scouting and watching me. Um, you know, uh, Leeds were very, very interested at the time. Uh, Wigan were interested at the time and obviously Wakefield, um, as, as we all knew. And... Uh, I've got a lot to to thank, not only Teddy Crook, but believe it or not, Ray Price at the time. Um, came with the scouts then um, to, to watch the cup final, but I was pretty ill for the game. And instead of playing six, uh, TC decided just to, to get me out there on the field and not as much in the action as, as what, I've, what I normally am. I mean, he put me back at fullback. Um, so I remember the scouts and, and Ray Price and everybody more or less going to watch the standoff Stanley Rangers at the time against uh, Eastmore, and um, I um, I managed to score four tries from fullback. So they ditched the thought of signing the six at the time and ended up looking at me, but they didn't realise that it was me that they came to see. So, um, but yeah, it was Ray Price that uh, that more or less spoke to the club, and literally said, "The more you know, if you don't sign this kid, then you're going to let one go through the net." So it was a recommendation of him as well as the scouts that got me uh, got me down at Trinity. Did you ever get to speak to him a bit after that, thank him for, for kind of the recommendation? I mean, I, I, I did. Obviously, Ray being Ray, legend of the game and a Hall of Famer, um, you know, it's hard as a kid to go up to him and say thanks for you, for, for recommending, you know, that Wakes and have a look at me. But I did say, um, you know, I've said it a couple of times in the press and obviously the likes of now that 
Um, it's when players like that notice something in you at such a young age that, you know, you can only thank them after, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ray didn't, uh, he only spent a year, I think, at the club, but just to be in and around those players, because I was training straight away with the first team at, at Bellevue. And um, yeah, just looking up to the likes of not only Ray Plyce, but, you know, the club legends like Johnny Thompson, the people like this, it's all inspiring. But uh, yeah, as I said, Ray, um, Ray was the one that more or less uh, pushed Wakefield to sign me more or less within a week thereafter. Was it a good group of lads when you first signed up for Wakefield then? Did you feel comfortable within that environment coming in as a young lad? I, I did. Uh, and uh, The guys made me feel really welcome, you know. Um, I mean, back then it was a lot of Wakefield people playing for Wakefield, you know. I think it was only allowed of two or three imports at the time, but the nucleus of the team were, were born and bred in and around the area and passionate to play for the Wakefield club, you know, uh, which I still believe works. And I know it's hard these days. Um with the state of the amateur game and, and you know, academies and, you know, reserve grades, et cetera. But they knew I was a Wakefield kid and passionate to play for Wakefield, as I said. So uh, they made me feel really welcome. But I suppose on the flip side of that, without being too big-headed and cocky at a young age and, and not bordering on arrogant, I went in there with my opportunity to grasp it. And I wanted to show the players what, even at 16, what I could bring to the table if given the chance. So... I just wanted to uh, express myself in and around training, doing the best I can, and then obviously got my opportunity uh, when it came along. Definitely. So we'll talk about the opportunity now, Nigel. What do you remember about your first team debut? <laughs> I think a lot of this uh, interview is going to be about injuries, but uh, I remember getting a late call from, from Topball, God bless him. Um, and I think it was Castleford away we, uh, we, um, well, I played in. And if I remember rightly, I came off the bench and we were losing quite heavily maybe just after half-time or just before half-time, I can't remember. And Topo decided to uh, to throw me on there. And I think one of the first touches of the ball, I, I managed to make a slight break and drew the, the full-back. Uh, I think it was Steve Larder at the time, the full-back for Cass. And uh, he managed to clean me out, suspected broken jaw. And I put Andy Kelly under the H's and uh, Andy went on to you know to score the try. But um, I don't remember much of the game thereafter because I was up in the field. Um, you know, again, with concussion and, and what was suspected broken jaw, but um, luckily enough for me, it wasn't. Um, it was just a bad knock. But uh, yeah, so it was obviously a dream to make my debut, but I'd like to remember more about it. I've got a picture in my physio portfolio of carrying you off. So there's, a, there's me and Barry Smith. Remember Barry? Carrying you I off do remember Barry. Yeah, <laughs> no, honestly, it's quite familiar, isn't it? But um, yeah, I remember, I remember Topo. Uh, the same year, I think. I think he ended up playing a reserve grade game in Topo because uh, Steve Ladder, I think he played in a reserve grade game for Cass coming back from an injury. So Topo went out to, to get him back. Um, I don't think he managed to catch him, but anyway, it was uh, it was a story that came out of that story, I suppose. I'm gonna the, the team that that day. I don't I don't know what your memory's like, but I'm gonna go through the team on your debut. I'm just gonna sort of fire some questions, fire some names. Kevin Harkin, fullback, Harkin. Kevin Harkin, yeah. Harkin, yeah. yeah. Wingers, yeah. Ian Jowett, David Jones. Yeah, David Jones, over yeah. from Oldham, Wigan area, yeah. That's right. Centres, Jed Byrne, Andy Mason. Yeah, the sniffer. Sniffer. Halfback, do you remember Chris Mortimer, the Aussie? I do. Did he play halfback, did he? He did. He was He was six. Matt Conway, seven. Seven, yeah. Uh, front, front row, here's the front row. Adrian Shelford, Billy Conway, Johnny Thompson. There you go. Back three, Andy Kelly, Gary Price, Nigel Bell. Nigel Bell, yeah, ding dong. 
Yeah. Not a bad team, is it? Brilliant, isn't it? And then you go back to what you said initially about the Wakefield-based players. There's a lot there. Yeah, there is. And I've been, you know, going through my short time there, you know, it wasn't long enough to start off with, but I think the nucleus of the team became even more Wakefield-based, you know, uh, with your Richard Slaters and your Richard Goddards and, you know, the likes of these guys coming through. Um, yeah, I think Wakefield always gave the locals a chance back then. And um, as I said, it, it, it was a pleasure to play with them. Do you remember when, how did Top Org break it to you as a 16-year-old to say you're making your debut at Castleford? I had a chat with him about this, actually, because he left it very late to tell me. I think he knew before I knew that, obviously, I was going to be playing, but I think he left it till late in the week. Um, and I got the call the day before, more or less, to get to training. And he never still said then that I was possibly on the bench. He just brought me down to be amongst the squad and played in the, in the you know, the, the run-through, the, the pre, pre-game run-through. And then he, he threw me in at six just to... Uh, to let me have a feel for it, as I said, but then as he named the team after the, the, the run-through, he put me on the bench, but he didn't give me much time to think about it, to be honest with you. It was, you know, a night's sleep and get up and off you go, but um, I can't say I slept very well, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was more, it was more eagerness and anticipation with nerves, really, to, to get out there, so he probably managed it quite well, did David. You played, um, you, you, were on, you, you played, um, you were on the bench for the next two games as well. I think you went on for one and not the other, Witness and Hull. Do you remember oh, which yeah. one you went on? Hull? I think I think I think I went on for the witness game. Witness, yeah. Yeah, I think I did. Um, and I, again, I'm I'm trying to remember the game. There's something telling me that I threw a, a really long ball out to Willow in the corner. I think Willow scored in the corner. How did it? I'll, um, tell, you, I'll tell you in a minute. I, I'm sure something like that. I'm sure Willow might have scored on it. Was you know? He did. Made he a did. Break. Willow got one. Yeah, that was that. That was yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think I think I, I threw it. I cleared. You know. Instead of it being a cut out, the old Harbour Bridge passes they call it these days. And I, I missed about four men out from 30 yard, and it, I think he scored in the left corner. But um, yeah, um, and obviously, I don't think I got on against Hull. Um, but yeah, it's just nice. I remember the witness game, actually. I got um, I got clobbered by one of their forwards, and it could have been the time of the Sorensons and the, you know, these guys and the Hume brothers. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it, it literally. I was just about to give me a dig and Bobby Goulding actually came over and just picked me up and tapped me on the head and crack on type thing. Um, it was so, a most, you remember a Mosi Coloto? He was him. That's, it possibly was. <laughs> I do remember him, but yeah, it was one of those guys that, you know, trying to get me off the ball on the cheap shot and I got, as I said, I got picked up by Bobby and it's patted on the head and crack on, mate. And uh, I think he realised, you know, young kid, just let him get on with his rugby. So <laughs> that's it. That's what Bobby was. That was 1990. You played two games in that 1991 season. 91-92, you played three. But one of those was against Leeds at home when the, when we won 22-20. Do you remember that at all? I'm trying to think. Well, was that after the Yorkshire Cup final? No, that was a year later. This was just a one-off. It was a no, game I... where we were actually losing 20 points to four with about 20 minutes to go. And do you remember the, the Andy Wilson injury? I don't. Oh, I'll be honest with you. Oh, no. It was when he had stitches in his manhood. Oh, yes. Now I do. I didn't know it was that game. I didn't know it was that game. Yeah. yeah. Apparently the, uh, the 60 all back on with two stitches, didn't he? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sorry, actually, sorry, No. <laughs> and he actually ran like he ran like lightning. Nobody could get hold of him. We were 4.20 down with 20 minutes to go. We won 22-20. It always stands out in my mind because uh, I just remember the crowd. We just rolling. We got on a roll. Rolling. Last 20 yeah. Minutes. No, I had some good good times against Leeds. Obviously, 
massive rivalry between the two clubs, but always passionate to play against Leeds. So, um, you know, um, any win against Leeds is a good win. Yeah. You found your feet under another Wakefield legend as well, and Ian Brook. Brook is obviously still about, he still knocks about Bellevue. Tell us some, tell us your, your thoughts on Brook here. Oh, legend, you know, really good friends with Ian and, you know, love the guys a bit, him and, him and Neil. I, as I said, I don't get too many games. I know they're uh, at, at every game possible that they can get to and, uh, and rightly so. But, um, you know, Brookie had us in the, uh, in the A-team back then. Um, and, and what I like about Ian as a, as a coach at the time, he literally just let you express yourself. You know, he didn't overcoach, didn't, didn't expect the world, but he wanted to you to give your best and, and you know be passionate about what you did and and um, and try what you wanted to do. So I think perfect at the time for for me as a kid, somebody like Brookie with all the you know the uh, the history at the club and 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 the legend of the game, uh, just to be able to to pat you on the back and say go play and enjoy it. Um, you know, and when you did need an arm round, you did do it, and when you did need a kick up your backside, you can do that as well. But you know, one thing that stands out about Ian and his coaching with me specifically was, you know, he, and I don't want to sound forget it, but he knew the talent and he, he wanted to try and get the best out of it but without putting too much pressure on me. And it, as I said, week in and week out, he just more or less said, when you when you get your chance, try and take it, but, you know, express yourself to the best of your abilities. Something that stands out to me now is listening to you talk about your first couple of games. It it sounds like, you know, they're looking at a young ball handling player and they're trying to knock his head off. Do you feel as though you may have looking at the kind of the modern game with the, the head high crackdown, would you, do you feel you, you may have benefited more these days or were you just kind of sign of the times then? I think it's the times, isn't it? You know, I mean, what's going on at the moment with the yellow and red cards is a bit ridiculous without, you know, I, I understand every player needs protecting in the right way, but it's a physical sport. And when players are coming out like they are on social media at the moment, not understanding some of the, the decisions that's been made, it's, um, it's laughable to be honest with you. Um, you know, and, and, and players, not falling over, but suffering injuries that aren't really that bad to get somebody else into trouble. It's it's not what the game's been about and it hasn't been about. Um, you know, but back then, it, it was part and parcel, you know. Um, we literally got told never to show pain and never to show weakness. And it, if somebody gets you and digs you and you caught one, then you try and stand up, you get up and you, you roll into the next play or the next tackle. It's as simple as that. But the game has got to change and it has changed, but it's, it's probably gone a little bit too far the other way. But, I think as a young kid, you know, trying to make his mark, back then you did get spotted and people did want to lay a mark on you and let you know that you're coming to a man's sport and, and, you know, all the best with it. But they wanted to put a marker down on you as well to say that, uh, you know, young kids these days need to be looked after as well as in, you know, taking out the game as well as, as anybody else. So, um, but... I wouldn't have changed it, to be honest with you. It was a challenge. It was hard. It was physical. And I caught, as everybody knows, a lot of injuries. But I think that might come down to the way that I probably played the game as a six, where I got tackled 15, 20, 25 times in a game. When, I, you know, these days they don't. It's, it's creativity and kicking. and But I love to take the line on and I love to get tackled. So it's probably cost me my career in the end. But, you know, that's where I was at as a six. As you say, as as, you, as, a, as a young six who preferred taking on the line, do you ever look at someone as, as kind of a hero you kind of base your play on? I, ne I never really based my play on, on, on a six or, or a player, you know, but um, I mean, obviously a lot of people um, put me alongside the likes of Tony Myler and all that, but, you know, 
I mean, Tony was a, an unbelievable great player. Um, I think it was more the height and the size of us both that people put us in that kind of bracket. Tony was a you know a genius with the ball, and you know I don't know whether he took the line on as much as probably what I did at the time, but he, he was a genius with the ball in his hand. Um, but I, you know I used to study the tapes of, of the likes of Wally Lewis and and Brett Kenny and you know David Topless himself um, and watch them uh, just to understand what what to do as a six, but. I just wanted to develop my own style, really. I just wanted to be fearless and, and ambitious and confident enough in my own ability to be able to play how I wanted to play. And, you know, I think it, it worked at times. It cost me a lot at times, but I became my own player. Spot on. 92-93 season, Topo gave you licence. He gave you the number six jersey. You played 28 games that season all alongside Jeff Bagnell. Um, pretty historic season for Wakefield, that wasn't it? Unbelievable, yeah. Uh, for myself, you know, that's as I said, they took the shackles off then and more or less presented me with the chance to play week in and week out. Um, probably ready by then as well. It sounds silly, but I think I was only you know 17 or 18 years of age at the time, and you know they were more or less giving me free reign to to, to play how I wanted to play for Wakefield. So, but a, a great season, uh, you know, a couple of great wins, and obviously with the uh, the, the Yorkshire Cup to go with it, uh, probably the last major trophy that Wakefield won. So. Um, yeah, unbelievable team, unbelievable guys, great coach, and, and we had the best camaraderie that probably any team in that division had at the time. Exactly, mate. Yeah, tell us about that day, mate. 18th of October, 1992. It still sticks in the mind of so many Wakefield fans. Tell us about your day. Um, it was nerve-wracking, to be honest, because I was still 50-50 before the game about playing. I don't know if you remember, Lee, but I ended up having... Um, injections in my ribs because the week before I scored at Salford but I went into the hoardings I, I came off after about 50 minutes at Salford I think it was um, so I carried an injury uh, again up to kick off in the cup final but um, they managed to strap me up on a couple of painkillers to get out there so as a young kid it, it was whether I was going to play or not I just didn't want to miss the game um, and then one of the funny stories I think as you did back then, you were negotiating what sort of pay you'd get for for the, the winning of the cup and things like that. And each round, depending on who you played, you you know, the pay either went up or down and that was your bonus type thing. But I remember Bagsy having a meeting with us and everybody and, and um, Stuart Farrer came in, the, the chairman at the time. And, you know, he, um, he literally told us that we were on X pounds for 10% of the gate. <laughs> and we were like, so if there's 10,000 people there, you know, how many <laughs> money are we going to get? A thousand pounds per man and things like that. But anyway, that's what it settled on. So it, believe it or not, as, as pay, we got we got 10% pay for the the, the attendance, the, the figures of the attendance. So I think there was about seven and a half thousand on there. So I think we all got 750 quid <laughs> per man. So that was that was one of the things that, was, that you know, it, it relaxed the week in a way, because obviously you, you, you are thinking of the cup fine and all you want to do is go out there and win. But um, yeah, the lead up to the game was was nerve wracking injury side of it, but then also we we managed to put a bit of light humour on it with trying to work out what we we're going to get paid when we win the cup because we actually never doubted we'd win the cup. To be honest with you, we spoke about it all week and I never thought we'd lose. Yeah, that's right. Got man of the match, mate. Man, the, the the youngest ever winner of the man of the match in the Yorkshire Cup uh, final, White Rose Award, I think you were called. I think it was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, great day. Uh, if I remember rightly, I think two or three of the boys were all having, you know, the, the wives were having kids that day or that weekend. It was one of those 
unbelievable weekends when everything was going off. Um, yeah, I just remember, you know, one playing at Ellen Road, massive stadium, um, biggest game obviously I played in at the time. And as a kid, just, yeah, just one of those games where everything that I seemed to do paid off, um, you know, and, and to get the man of the match at that age and, you know, walk off with the White Rose Trophy with some of the great names on it. And I don't think it was played again after. I can't remember whether it was or not. But, um, yeah, just an unbelievable day. And, and one that I'll never forget on behalf of myself, my family and the club, it, it was a pleasure and a privilege to, to lift the trophy. And, you know, what an honour to get them out of the match. It was. It was one of the greatest days in my uh, rugby career as well. Uh, you talk about the, the, the baby's due, because Gary Price's son were due. Gary Spencer's son Spencer's, yeah. And Jamie was you as well. They're all all the wives. Uh, yeah, I, I remember. I remember it being two or three. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, um, lads were you know shooting off there after and trying to get back to the clubhouse for the drink after and you know making sure the babies weren't on board until the day after that or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just remember them shooting off. Yeah, but uh, yeah, great weekend for everybody. And it's one. It's one I can't hardly forget now. Believe it or not, my wife. Her birthday is the eighteenth of October. Ah, oh, wow. So um, obviously. Matter thereafter, but um, yeah, so it's one that I'll never forget anyway. Great stuff. Do you remember three days later? Again, we talk about Leeds again. Do you remember the Leeds game three days later? <laughs> I don't know how I remember it because trust me, I had a drink or two at the age of 17. I know I shouldn't have done, <laughs> but um, yeah, I managed to put a few away with the rest of the boys. And now we've fielded a team, and I actually think we beat Leeds that Wednesday thereafter. I'm not sure at Bellevue. Uh, you did because you got the winning drop goal. I remember the drop goal, yeah. Um, I'm going to say something like 16, 17 or something like that. The score wants it. And it, I think it was hammering it down with rain. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I dropped a goal from about 30, 40 yards to win the game late on. So, yeah, again, one of those weeks that, I, I, well, I'll never forget about how I remember it. I don't know. It's the real one, Backing up after Yorkshire Cup final, you'd think that we were on a loser against Leeds. But like you say, we won 17, 16. We, we give it our Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. And you, you, you've got the winning drop goal in the last 10 minutes. I think, again, it's the... It, you know, if that, no disrespect to, to, to anybody else, but if that would have been a Bradford or a Leeds or a, sorry, or a Wigan or a Hull, we'd have probably got stuffed. Yeah. It, it was the ideal game for Wakefield to play straight after the cup final if you had to play one, and that was Leeds at home because, you know, nobody likes them. I don't mean that in a bad way, but we Wakefield through and through. And, you know, so if you're going to give us a game after three days, you know, of a cup final, then that was the game for everybody to, to get up for. So it was pretty easy, actually. It was, wasn't it? Um, that same season, mate, we got you got some more representative honours. Do you remember your Great Britain under-21s debut against the French? It was at Rochdale. Was it really? No, I, I remember playing that year. I don't remember the, where it was and, and who it was against. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember it was, whether I was playing academy before that at, um, at that level, but it was a Great Britain under-21s, yeah. Um, I think I managed to play two or three games for them, but I don't remember it being at Rochdale. Uh, I just remember that year being surreal, really, because uh, it was all coming thick and fast, and, and you know, it was and, one after another, wasn't it? Because yeah, it was. It was, it was getting, I was getting caught up in it, you know, like you know, making your debut, and then a the couple of years after you've been given the six shirt, and then you take take command of your team type thing, and cup final, the win, and then as you said, the drop goal. Everything just seemed to be going right for me at the time, and to get that representative jersey was was amazing. So um, yeah. You actually, you actually got selected for the under-21s before the academy because I think you were in the under-21 setup, and then the academy, I was a physio for the academy at the time and you, you represented the academy the week after. 
But this under twenty one side, it was a fair side. I'll just I'll just fire some names at you. Lee Penny Lee Penny was the full back. Yeah, Lee. Yep. Yeah. Jason Robinson was your half back partner. Got it. Yeah, I'm good friends with Jason. So yeah. Yeah. The props were Paul Anderson and Steve McNamara. Wow. Uh, your back three: um, Barry John Mather, Chris Joint. There you go. A couple of legends. Steve McCurry at Hooker. So that was all, and that was the Great Britain under twenty one side. Yeah, a lot of good players there that went on to have great careers, obviously. Uh, stunning careers. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just remember, well, I can't quite remember the game, obviously, but um, just a privilege to play for your country at whatever level you can get to. You keep your shirts, mate. Are you into memorabilia? I've got, uh, well, I'd like to say I keep my shirts, but every time I go back, I think the old man's flogs. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I've managed to keep uh, most of my jerseys, you know. Um, I think, as I said, my old man's got two or three up on the wall. In, in my old bedroom now at home. Um, and then I managed to swap a couple of jerseys in cup finals and things like that. Um, and a couple of internationals that I man managed to play for England and, and under 21. So, yeah, um, I do keep that. My medals are actually up on the wall here at the moment. So I've got them at home. Um, but, yeah, I try to keep as much as I can without the old man getting rid of it. <laughs> Very good, mate. Now, that was 1992-93. You played 28 games for Trinidad that year. And then you were gone. Um, you, you'd gone to Wigan. How did how did that come about after such a... You had one solid good year and then you're gone. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, and people always question it, um, nothing to do with me, if I'm really honest. I was such a happy kid living the dream, really, having the you know time of his life playing for the club that he loved. And then I went on holiday. I don't even know where I was. I think Grand Canaria, somewhere like that, uh, with a girlfriend at the time. And then... I got a phone call at the hotel uh, after a week and I had to fly back because apparently I was signed for Halifax. And I literally knew nothing about it at the time. Um, but apparently Halifax under Malcolm really had come in with a bid of over a hundred odd thousand pounds uh, to sign me in Wakefield. Literally just wanted to, to cash in, I suppose, and they needed the money, they needed the funds. So I flew back from the Grand Canaria, whatever day it was, and then I was heading down the M62 to, uh, to Halifax, got shown around the ground and the facilities by Malcolm really. Um, Talked talk to me in length about, you know, what his plans were for me. And I was still a little bit like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but um, so I drove home and then, um, you know, I was meant to go back there on the, the Friday, I think it was, of that week. And um, I then got a phone call in the car on the way to Halifax to keep driving and head to Wigan because Wigan, I'd outbid them and that you were now signing for Wigan. And I'd never even met anybody at Wigan. I've not met the chairman. I've not met anybody whatsoever. I saw, lo and behold, I was driving to, to Wigan, trying to find my way to Wigan. I ended up in Blackpool, believe it or not, because I couldn't find the turn off of the M61 because it said Bolton and Preston and I couldn't see a Wigan turn off. So I missed it and I was late by an hour getting back to, to Central Park. I eventually got there and Literally, the contract was drawn there up in front of me. Um, and that was it. So, you know, it was end of season, off you go on your holiday, come back and gone. And that, and that was as, as easy as it was for, for Wakefield to, to sell me. It sounds, you know, it sounds like I wanted to go at the time, but I didn't. I was living the dream and I'd had no plans to leave anywhere. I just wanted to carry on with my career being as good as I could be for the club. Wow, I didn't know that story because that was one of that's my next question. Did you want to go or was it totally out of the blue? You've answered the question. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, everybody's got ambitions, haven't they? And at the time, you know, that Wigan team was phenomenal. I mean, you put that down on paper at the moment and there's no salary cap in the world that you could get that under. Um, you know, it, it, phenomenal. And, and to go... A team like Wigan want to, to pay and buy you and, and, you know, and get you in that squad was... A dream. It was something that, you know, three or four years maybe down the track that I would have probably jumped at doing if, if my career would have kept going on the same path because who doesn't want to play for the biggest and the best and prove yourself amongst the elite? So, yeah, it just came too early. We just It just froze then for a minute, so we missed about 20 seconds of that. But just going back, £140,000 was a world record for a teenager. Big money. Did you did you get your 10%? Uh, I did. Oh, God. Good lad. <laughs> I did. I did. Look, the old man did. <laughs> it's, I it's thought I'd right. kept it back. No, no. Uh, no, the old man took a little bit of that. And uh, believe it or not, he purchased a house for me. So we, uh, we invested it. But um, yeah, a lot, a lot of money to be paid. And, and as I said, I had nothing to do with the fee or the, the salary or, or anything. Um, it was all just pretty much rushed on me. And, uh, and I think Wigan more or less bought who they wanted at the time. If, if the price was right, clubs were selling. Was it fair to say now is that you were probably one of the most in-demand teenagers in world rugby at that time? Possibly. I mean, way before the Australian things started to really go off, I know that Ellery and, and Sean Edwards and the likes of that had gone there on the, the summer-winter stint type thing for 10, 12 games at the time. But um, I had Canterbury Bulldogs at the time sniffing around me while I was at Wakefield. Um, you know, so they were after me for three or four months at the end of the Yorkshire Cup final season. Um, obviously, that's something that was way out for me at, at the time. I was too young to go that far. And I've not done anything in my career to really warrant that kind of transfer. Um, but, um, you know, I, I do know that thereafter, when signing for Wigan, there was four or five other clubs that were speaking to Wakefield, Halifax, obviously, St. Helens, Leeds, um, all, all sniffing around. So, yeah, I, I mean... As I said, it, it was thrown at me in the deep end, but there was options out there. It was just more or less a bidding war between the teams, I suppose. Oh, gosh. What do you remember about your Wigan debut night? 13,000 fans at home to Hull. Yeah, I mean, Wigan, at the time, it was it was weird. You know, coming from Wayfield, no disrespect, but we used to train on Bellevue and, you know, we'd have a pint after training and go down the grazes and things like that. But I remember my first session at Wakefield and it was the same season Gary Conley had signed. So we were the two big signings. Gary had signed from St. Helens and, uh, and myself from Wakefield. And uh, we turned up at training and, and there was probably two and a half thousand people at, uh, at Robin Park just watching the training. Um, and everybody had an assessment, you know, if you dropped a ball at training, you were heckled. And if you're not as quick as what people thought, they were having a dig at you. But they are fanatical fans, or the worst, still are, I suppose. But Wigan fans back then were everywhere and, you know, um, it was like playing for Man United, I suppose, at the time where you couldn't do anything um, without a Wigan fan coming up to you or wanting your autograph or speaking to you. So it was the training side of it, really, that, that wowed me. And then, as I said, named straight away at six against Hull, I think it was. Um, you know, we thought there were nearly 14,000 people on. And again, no disrespect to Wakefield, but we were four to 5,000 hardcore fans at Trinity all the time. And you, I suppose that's when it hit home just how big the club 
at Wigan is and, and what it meant to the town as well over there. So, uh, you know, never forget the debut. Should have scored as well, but um, yeah, no, I think they brought me off after 60-odd minutes just to to take it all in, really, and get me out of there because it was quite uh, quite an ordeal. What do you remember about your, your first season at Wigan? I know, I know a couple of injuries set you back. You missed a couple of finals as well, unfortunately. Yeah, I set off okay. Um, and then I picked up a, you know, one or two little niggling injuries. It's When I say niggling injuries, they were, they were the injuries that literally cost me the, the first season at, um, at Wigan. It was very stop-start. You know, and every time it came round to a major final, I'd been playing in the rounds up to it, you know, the Challenge Cup. And and then I got injured. And it's so a club like that, when I got injured at Wakefield, you know, I played 28 games on the bounce or more or less the last season. And then, you know, that's that's when I'd more or less thought I'd hit the ground running. But a couple of injuries at Wigan and you set back and you're behind the likes of, you know, Fran Obotica and Sam Panopper and the likes of these people, you know. So it's not that easy just to jump back in because they do put you back in the correct way, which is get fit through the reserves, prove yourself again. And, you know, if nobody's playing well at the first team level, you might get your shot again. So... People think, you know, there was a lot of injuries when I first started at Wigan, but I played a lot of reserve grade games, to be honest with you, because the first team was that strong. But I played I played reserve football nearly every Friday night, and then I might be selected on the bench for Wigan on the Sunday or something like that. So, you know, when it comes to the games that you played, people don't, don't see that at Wigan because they don't realise how big a squad they had. Am I right in saying you did pick up a First Division Championship medal? Yeah, I did, yeah. I got um, the medals up here, um, you know. Played enough games that season to get the medal, which, you know, one of the, uh, as a player, that's what you want to do. You want to pick up the the championships back then and the premierships and the, you know, the Challenge Cup. So I managed to to do that with Wigan and, and get a championship, not a ring back then. It was a medal, but um, yeah, it's pride of place with the Yorkshire medal here as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, happy days. Spot on. You, you've mentioned you, you played with a couple of these lads before, Jason Robinson, Andy Farrell, but what were it like to be in a changing room with the likes of, you know, Dennis Betts, Sean Edwards, Frano Botica, as you mentioned? I mean, I mean, I can't express to to anybody just how hard it was because um, you go in there with the expectancy of being the next thing for Wigan, paying all that money for you. And, and I was like, with, without again sounding too big headed here and repeating the words that I keep using, but um, I was I was a pretty big fish even at the age of 17, 18 at Wakefield in a small pond, and then you get thrust to Wigan and, and they want the same expectancy of you in a in a massive pond. You know what I mean? With with big sharks around you, big players, big names, superstars. So it's 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 very hard. It's hard to settle, even though the players were great with me and, and welcoming me with open arms and. You know, couldn't do enough for you and training, helping you doing the extras and things like that. But I never really settled. It was it was awe inspiring to be in, in and amongst them. Every every day you walk in, and you know, Sean Edwards giving you high fives and Andy Farrell shaking your hand. And you know, I grew I grew up playing amateur league with Jason, good friend of mine, as I said. So, but when you're in and amongst 20, 25 international players, it's very very hard to settle and just be yourself. You want to try and prove too much, and sometimes trying to prove things is when you you don't, you, you become worse than what you actually are. So um, I, I did struggle with the first 12 months at Wigan until I, until I felt like I belonged there. Yeah, you, you virtually answered that question. I was going to say to you, did you enjoy it? Because it must have been difficult to settle. Because at Trinity, we were all one group, one unhappy family. The coaches were great. You go to Wigan and it's like, wow, wow have you gone up a level? And it's like, you, you, just the story you just said sounded quite stressful. 
awful, um, not in a bad way. Just as a kid, you don't know how to handle it and you didn't have anybody around you that could handle it with you. You know, um, as I said, my old man literally was Wakefield through and through, still is, he's down there nearly every week. And then all of a sudden I'm telling my dad I'm going to play for Wigan. <laughs> Obviously, my dad's like, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honour for you to play for them, son, but, you know, he didn't want me to leave. And then I didn't really, at the time, know why I was leaving. It's just the fact that I, I had to go. Um, and then, as I said, you're walking into a dressing room with Sean Edwards, Martin Fires, you know, whoever else was there at the time. It wasn't Martin there at the time, which I think he came after. Um, but, yeah, just these just these phenomenal players. And, as I said, I just didn't know how to relax amongst them and be myself. I just wanted to, to go out there and play a little bit at a time. Um, but it, it, it was more professional than I'd even dreamed about, you know, trying to train every day, twice a day, and in the gym and on the track and... And then go out and play your rugby as well. It, it, it was it was so hard just to to relax amongst these guys because you just wanted to prove yourself. And deep down, you don't need to. You know, you've you're at Wigan for a reason. They paid that kind of money for you. But um, yeah, it was it was stressful at the time without knowing it. I suppose. Were you full time at that time as well? Yeah. So straight on a full time contract, um, commuting that didn't help. So I was literally driving across at such a young age. Um, you know, and um, and full time you were there at seven, eight o'clock in the morning and leaving at three, four in the afternoon at Wigan. And that's what they were. They were way ahead of the game at the time. And, uh, you know, probably that's why they were so dominant. Apart from having the best team, they were literally dominant in every area. And, and just, you know, sports science had even kicked in back then as well. So, um, yeah, video analysis, game analysis, training analysis. It was nutritionist. You got the lot. And I just, I just found it, you know, Overwhelming, I suppose. Yeah, I can imagine. So how could we how could we end up back at Wakefield? He came back for a season on loan, 94-95. Yeah, I've not settled. Um, I, I think they knew that. And I think Wakefield replaced me with Henry uh, at the time. And obviously Wigan being Wigan did what they did and didn't want anybody else to get him. I think Henry only had a one-year deal at Wakefield at the time. So um they brought Henry across. I'd had a reasonably good pre-season at the time and then next thing got a hamstring injury at, um, at Wigan and cost me my pre-season or the build-up to the start of the year after so I never got a real look in to start the season off and um, I think wait for another couple of other clubs came, came knocking and obviously if I was going to go out on loan then I wanted to go back to where I knew best and where I could just relax and be myself and that was in and around family and friends and, and players that I knew so it was a no-brainer for me to to head back and at the time I wasn't sure whether I was going back to Wigan after the loan I think it was a year loan as well I don't think it was a month I think it was the full term wasn't it it was yeah full um, season yeah so yeah so at the time when they said look we're going to send you out to get some more first team experience um, as I said I didn't know whether that was the end of the Wigan career or or what was going to happen but um, yeah I was I was looking forward to just to going back and, and start to enjoy myself again how did you feel playing against Wigan when you were back at Wakefield, playing against your your your, your new team? Back playing for Wakefield? Yeah, when you went back on yeah, loan, you played against yeah. Wigan again. Um, I loved it at a point of, like, not to try and prove anything to them, but just to, to prove to myself that when, when I'm relaxed and I'm happy, I, I can play the game, you know, like, I didn't need to prove anything to Wigan. I, my, my head was saying, you've proved it once because you've ended up at Wigan and they must have wanted something that they'd seen, so... I never felt like that when I was at Wigan playing against any other team, really. I just felt a bit a bit claustrophobic, I suppose, and, and not wanting to make too many errors and, you know, 
when I went back to Wakefield, I got that open arm. I think it was Paul Arkin and the people like this were, were coaching at the time and, uh, and Nobby. Um, and they just said, go play again. You know, <clears throat> welcome back. Do what you do. Do what you got you there and see where it takes you. So it was just a relief, just a, you know, and I felt home. I felt like I was back where I belonged. The team had changed as well. There weren't many of the old boys there. To say you'd only been gone a year, Gary Spencer was still there. Billy was still there, Billy Conway, Johnny Thompson, Nigel Bell, yeah. and Richard Slater. Everybody else had gone. When you yeah. went, a lot went. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's not my fault. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a breakup, really, of the, of, the, of the club and the team, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'd, I, once I got the opportunity to go back anyway, it, 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 I knew Slats was still there, a good friend of mine, Richard, obviously, and, and Gary uh, Speed is, is a great friend too, so... I just wanted to get back and, and whatever the team was, I just wanted to go play back at Wakefield and be the player that I was and, and, and give them everything I got to help them for the year. So, um, you know, I just wanted to get home. 95, you were back at Wigan. Did you want to go back or were you sort of drag yourself back? Uh, again, this is another funny story, I suppose, but um, I think Wakefield played Wigan at home one of the later games of the season and Wigan had just reached the Challenge Cup final. Um, and I'm sure... I'm sure. I think I got the man of the match against Wigan or Wakefield. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in obviously the Wakefield dressing room thereafter and Jack Robinson um, came, in, came down the, the tunnel and knocked on Wakefield's door and, and asked for me to come out. And I was still in my kit and having a, an old can of Stones Bitter or John Smith or whatever it was back then in the dressing room that we had after the, the game. And um, he literally just said more or less, see you next week. <laughs> And this was one of the last games of the season. And that week I had to go back to Wigan and get measured up from the Wembley suit. And obviously I couldn't play because I'd, uh, I'd played for Wakefield in the cup. But um, yeah, Wigan measured me up for the Wembley suit. And I was on the team bus going to Wembley that, that year with, with Wigan. Um, sat, you know, behind the dugout there with the players that weren't in the squad. And I was in the aftermath of the, the team hotel after the Challenge Cup success that year. So it was weird. Again, just getting dragged back. It was like a monopoly, really, as Wigan held my, my contract and they knew that I think I had a pretty good year back on loan at Wakefield, off the top of my head. And, um, yeah, Wigan just came knocking again and said, well, you're still our player, so back you come and they, they, they put me on a brand-new three-year contract. Oh, right. Uh, so and that's I, when... I, Sorry, go on, mate. I was, I was going to say, I think, I think there was a massive push by the Wakefield public that year to try and keep me as well, and I didn't have a clue that I was going back to to Wigan. Um, as far as I was concerned, it was a year on loan and then sort yourself thereafter. So I'd, I was speaking to, to other clubs, Wakefield were off, offering me the best contract they could and I, somebody sent me something on on um, WhatsApp the other day, only a couple of weeks ago, and it was a picture of the Save the Nigel Wright Fund and they put a pound on the gate at Bellevue. <laughs> and everybody was thinking that was for my contract and I don't know where it came from or how it happened, but they put a leaflet in one of the programmes saying the gate's gone up by a pound to pay Nigel Wright's wages. <laughs> so whoever did that at Bellevue I'd like to thank him but anyway I don't think they've ever taken the pound off <laughs> kept it on kept it on is this the time when the injury started because you went back to Wigan and over, over the next four years you only played 20 games yeah um, it was the off season as I said when I went back to Wigan for that cup final that was the end of the season and, and what have you and uh, Wigan that was when things really started to, to take off on the nutritional side of it. And the, the Marlis wanted to try and build me to a 13. Uh, you know, we sport long and hard in the off-season right at the beginning. 
and, and we're gonna have you know like a 16 week period that's what they used to do where they'd either get you in the gym or have you on the field or on the track depending on what they wanted from you um, and they wanted to convert me from a six to a 13 if i'm really honest and and put me you know my playing weight back then was somewhere 90 to 92 93 kilo and we wanted to get me up to 97 98 um so it's a massive off season professional as the word in the gym and things like that and yeah i put, I put a lot of weight on in you know good weight health, healthy weight but too big for me and i didn't know how to carry it but it was a change of position that um, even though i still played six i was a lot heavier and probably not as agile and not as quick as what i was and um it seemed to catch me. I was getting caught by a lot of tackles and plays that I'd normally, you know, not worry about and things like that. So carrying that extra weight and then playing out of position at times, um, you know, and then, as I said, I had the, the real nasty injury. I think I played really well at the beginning of that pre-season. I scored three in the Locker Cup against Warrington and two in the Charity Shield the week after. Oh, Wigan. But, um, I think it was played in Ireland against Leeds, the, Char the, the, Lock the Charity Shield. And, um, so I set, I set off really well, missed the first game of the season and then and then came in again. But it was then when I broke a oh, nasty injury to the ankle where it, it ruined the career, really. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Just was this, do you remember, just rewinding just a few months, uh, do you remember your England game against France at Gateshead? Yeah, Gateshead, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, again, uh, I'm trying to think who the coach was. It might have been Ellery at the time. Um yeah, it's just a great honour, you know. One one of the ambitions that you have in your sport is to be successful at your club level and and win as many honours as you can. And you know, everybody dreams of playing at Wembley and things like that. But um, the drops England into the equation. I think it used to be Great Britain at the time, but then we started the England scenario. And just to get picked playing for England at the time wasn't a buzz. Um, you know, a great honour, and um, you know that was probably the the peak of my career where I was at. I know the Yorkshire Cup final in the 28 games for Wakefield and then going to Wigan was was great. But playing for your country and then I was named, I think, in the squad for the 1995 World Cup for Great Britain. Um, and then the ankle is weeks prior to just missing out. And I, you know, Malcolm at the time or whoever was the England coach at the time, Great Britain coach, more or less said that you were picked at six ahead of Gary Schofield to play in the World Cup opener at, um, at Wembley. And, um, Obviously, did they ankle about three or four weeks prior to that, so missed out on, on on not only playing at Wembley but playing for Great Britain as well by a few weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I'm just looking back. It was Ellery. Ellery was your coach that day, Ellery Hanley, uh, and yeah. that team again. I won't go through the whole team, but you had Richard Goddard with you were in centre, so yeah. that must have been great for Stanley Rangers to England to England uh, reps. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up with Richard through school and everything. Uh, you know, great talent, Richard. Um, you know. Huge centre and, and potential to be anybody and anything. It reminded me a bit of Kevin Ido as a kid. Yeah. Um, but you know, I never quite went that extra extra mile really to get to where he should have done, Richard. But um, yeah, um, I think representing your, your country for yourself is great. But to have good friends around you as well, it's it's phenomenal. It's great for Stanley Range and the amateur set up because uh, you know to have two players in the same team coming from the same club is is great. Yeah, exactly. And Goddard is still the youngest ever player to play for Trinity to this day. Is he really? Yeah. Beat you're not, you're not far behind. You're, you're beat six. Me by a few months. Yeah, there you go. Beat me by a few months, I think. Yeah. Richard, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean... I, I... So that England that England game, your halfback was Derek Fox. 
Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. Well, I think I dropped a goal. I think you did. Yeah. I, there was no way I was playing for England and not getting a point, put it that way. So <laughs> forever scored for, for England, that's what I wanted to do. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I never got the chance to do it again. Sorry, I jumped in on your injuries, because I didn't want to forget that England game. But going back to your ankle, did you actually break your ankle? Is that what you did? Yeah, it was a, it was a mess. Uh, and it was handled, I don't mind saying it, pretty poorly after. Um, it was it was close to being a compound, but it never pierced the skin, the ankle. And I'd de- totally detached the lateral ligament in your ankle. You'll know more about it than me, Lee, to be honest with you, um, yeah. as in as in the structure of the ankle and, and what goes on down there. But um, the foot the foot was more or less dislocated, I suppose, um, and, and put back in. But they couldn't actually operate on me for two and a half weeks um, because the swelling on the ankle was that severe. It literally did look like a melon that... Um, they were frightened that if they scored the skin in surgery, then it would split like a watermelon would. Um, but I was in that much pain and that much agony with the swelling and, and the pressure of, I suppose, internal bleeding because the lateral ligament had detached, that they eventually did the surgery. And um, I had to have seven or eight operations after it um, to keep repairing it. Um, they never managed to stitch the actual ankle back together and it became massively infected for for six months. So I was getting, you know, 20, 30 needles per week, putting it um, and cleaned up at Wigan Infirmary. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a skin graft that literally they more or less had to try and do to, to cover the, the wound and they should never have operated when they did. It wasn't ready, but... Um, and then I tried coming back, you know, I was out for the game for well over 12 months through that injury. And obviously you can't train and do much back then. It was just swimming and rehab and so I put a bit more weight on, really. It sounds silly, but never regained full fitness. Um, and then I'm, I needed calcification moving three further times in the next 12, 18 months because there was bone growing between the joints. So in, in, in total, I think I had seven or eight operations on the ankle. And it, it, it has never been right since, I'll be honest with you. So I still to, still to this day now can't, as a personal trainer, can't run more than a couple of hundred metres without, um, without it seizing. So, yeah. It, uh, it was a nasty injury. How did your mental health cope around this time? I didn't know at the time. Um, I, you know, at the time you're still getting paid and you, you know, you're in and around the lads all the time and they're there to pat you on the back and keep your chin up. And so it wasn't, it was more the fact that people not seeing you play and then you get another injury and then another injury. How long is it going to be? It was more the pressure of external rather than internal at the club. And, um, yeah, it was hard to explain to people what it was such a bad injury that you can't just come back from it in six months, eight months, 12 months or whatever. Um, and then when you did come back, I think people sometimes when you are a bit, I suppose, injury prone, but people think you you automatically get injured just because you want to. <laughs> you don't. You know, you want to play the game. And I also go back to the first two or three years at Wakefield when I was playing in 28 games and never got injured. I just enjoyed myself and that's what I wanted to be. But... Every injury that I got seemed to be bigger than the last one until the, the ankle, and obviously that cost me my career down the line. But it was more the the frustration and the anger that you're just trying to just want to be fit. You just want to play the game. You love the game. And then people are, you know, having little digs at you saying you're injury prone and this, that, and the other, and you're not. You just it was a serious injury that would have cost a lot of people their careers. It reminds me a lot, put it into football terms, of, of kind of Michael Owen. You know, you played so much and so well at an early point in your career. 
um, hit such a peak so early, but then just injuries just kind of knocks you back a bit more. Is, is that kind of a fair comparison? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, and you do follow other sports and other professionals in their sports at the time. And, and Michael was the same, a phenomenal at Liverpool, and then obviously went to Real Madrid, massive club, massive move, ended up back at Newcastle and things like that. And it, it's a slippy slope, it, it really is. But yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I, I, I came back three or four times from the ankle. Um, but every time I came back, I knew it wasn't right. I knew there was something structurally wrong with the, the joint, the ankle, the movement. So, you know, it was back in for just keel surgery and let them have a look at it and clean it out again. And then it'd be four, six weeks, eight weeks recovery. But then you come back and play a couple of games and then go back in again. So people automatically see you play two games and you're out for eight weeks and they think, you know, there's another injury. It's not. It was the same injury that was costing me weeks upon weeks all the time. So, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. But as you, you know, when you do get going again and you eventually get back playing, which I, I did, you know, a couple of years later, um, I then dislocated my shoulder, you know what I mean? I got I got tackled and all of a sudden the shoulder pops, you know, that kind of thing. And then I had a triple hernia. I didn't just have a hernia there. You know, left and right and belly button went on hernias. And so that became a pretty severe surgery because I couldn't do anything. So it, it wasn't as simple as, you know, I was injured. It was the fact that the injuries were that severe and that big that it took time, you know. And you had one last chance kind of at Huddersfield. What do you remember about that, that short period? I uh, should never have gone. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very honest man. And if I ever write a book, I'll say it. But um, I was in massive dispute at the time with Wigan. What, what happened with Wigan? Um, I came back after the ankle injury. And eventually, when I did get going, I played in the World Club Challenge against Canterbury Bulldogs again. And man of the match in the World Club Challenge over there and played against Brisbane. And I was doing all right. Again, I was, back, you know, played, played a premiership final for Wigan and things like that. And it was quite a good year. I think it was... Um, Eric Hughes, that, that more or less put his arm around me at the time, being an old standoff, and said, look, let's get you back, get you back playing and enjoying it. So um, I had a reasonable year. And, um, yeah, just, um, you know, time was time was up. I should never have gone. And when we when we can, um, after the World Club Challenge, when they, they offered me the four-year deal, obviously I was over the moon because I thought... Come back, and I didn't need any more surgeries on the ankle. And the injuries were starting to clear up, even though I didn't think the ankle was where it should be. I was going to have it cleaned out again in the off season, but they had a whole regime clean out at Wigan, and obviously they were looking at my contract. Just signed a four-year deal. Um, Canterbury Bulldogs were offering mega money for me at the time um, after the World Club Challenge, and I turned it down. It was the time when Super League became, you know, they were buying the players, and you could have gone to the NRL or you had to stay in Super League, and you got payments for it and things like that. Um, so I just wanted to stay at Wigan, stay in England and prove myself. But um, the new regime at Wigan, literally, Phil Clark was, I think, CEO at the time or something like that. And he literally went through the contracts and he said, look, I think Nigel's slowing down as in his career is getting stagnant and his, his injuries are playing on him. So Wigan released me. They didn't, they didn't give me an option. They literally just said, we're going to nullify your contracts and that's it. So obviously, I got the players union in and my agent in and we just literally three, four months into a four-year deal. And um, yeah, we can release me. So they actually kept me out of the game for eight further months. I wasn't allowed to go even train with Stanley Rangers or Wigan St. Pats. I wasn't allowed in their gym. I wasn't allowed at the club. Um, I couldn't do anything. Um, so for 12 months, I was getting paid, which was fine, but I wasn't able to train or do anything. And eventually it got settled out of court through the players' union where Wigan had to pay me 
you know, a lump sum to for the remaining three years of my contract. And um, to do that, I had to prove that I could still play. So, you know, Huddersfield offered me a contract to go there with Malcolm really again, who'd obviously tried to sign me at Halifax. But I should never have gone. It was a time then where the ankle had more or less give up. I'd not trained for 12 months. I was unfit. I was overweight. I couldn't catch up. And I think I, I, I barely played for Huddersfield on a two-year deal. And I, during the second, start of the second year when they merged with Sheffield, I, I went in to see them. And I more or less said, I'm done, you know. And I tore my own contract up for the second year. So what happened then? You, you seemed to disappear. Oh, is that when you went to Australia? Because after about 2000, you seemed to disappear off the face of the earth for a bit. Yeah, I, I know you mentioned depression and things like that. Um, that's when it probably hit the year at Huddersfield and then the year, the, you know, the year after. At 2000, um, you knew that was it. And, you know, there was... I had one phone call and it, believe it or not, was from Andy Kelly. And he was at Gateshead at the time. And he knew that where I was at was career was more or less over, but he knew I could still do a little bit at a certain level. And Andy offered me like three or four hundred quid to go up to Gateshead just on a Sunday and play for him. But I just did, you know, mentally I'd gone. I just, you know, if I couldn't play at the elite level, I didn't want to play at all. And um, yeah, I, I knew a couple of ex-players, you know, Dean Bell was over in New Zealand at the time and, um, you know, a couple of ex-players that I'd played with at Wigan. Well, back back in Australia. Um, so I just went off. I just saw the new year and then packed my bags and I, I went to Australia. I did three months out there, just literally living the high life. And I mean, just having a drink and sunbathing and surfing and and I loved it. So I came back, put my house on the market in Wigan and, and bailed out there for 12 months, got a holiday visa, working visa, residence visa, and then eventually I became a um, a citizen, I've got an Australian passport now, so I was out there for nine years. Oh, wow, nine years. So, what did you do? I, I remember you were coaching Penrith Juniors. What else did you do in that, those nine years? Well, after the first year I've been out there, um, I got introduced to a guy called Kevin Chevelle, um, a great guy uh, who owned his own fitness center in, in Penrith. Um, so, you know, he wanted to know if I wanted to get on board and do some fitness training there and, and you know, invest in his business to get it um, get it going a bit more um, which I thought was an opportunity to stay out there and keep in the fitness industry and get myself, myself back going again really and then um, so I did that so I got, I got in there and um, started doing some junior coaching with a couple of the, the mountains clubs out in Penrith and then P. Mulholland blessing um, was one of the, the, the main guys at uh, Penrith Panthers at the time, and he knew I was out there, and he wanted to get me on board with the development squad pre-Jersey um, pre flag out there. So I managed to coach Penrith development for four or five games, and we, we won all four of them. So I then became Jersey flag um, assistant coach um, with Brett Kenny. So me and Brett coached out there for three or four years together. I was his assistant. He was the head coach. Um, so, yeah, so... Managed to get into the into the coaching position, and I ended up back at Wakefield through that because um, John Keir brought me back as his number three, or it was Paul Broadbent and, and myself as his assistants because I've been coaching in Australia and doing pretty well with it. That's right. About two thousand and eight. Was there any of those Penrith players that went through to big things? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Willie Iser still going strong. Yeah. Michael Jennings, uh, phenomenal centre. I was, you know, so I think he's had to finish now through. You know, circumstances that are not right. But, um, you know, Michael Jennings was a, an unbelievable player. Jared Zabit was in the squad at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, three or four of them have gone on to make 
stellar careers out of it, really. Um, but Penrith is just a, such a... They talk about production lines and juniors and home-based players. It's a conveyor belt over there in, in the mountains. It's um, I know players back then that were playing in, as I said, in just amateur rugby league that could have destroyed some of the teams over here, I'll be honest with you, they were that good. Mm. Um, there's that many players out there that just want to play rugby league. It's, it's huge, but Penrith's massive. Um, and, and, you know, it's the only thing out there that there is for the kids to do, to be honest with you. Excellent. And then, obviously, you said 2008, you were back at Trinity again. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't turn it down. Um, you know, as much as I was enjoying life over in Australia and doing really well with my coaching at Penrith, and I did get offered another job, you know, with the reserve grade up there. So I could have gone on and stayed at Penrith, really. John Lang um, really enjoyed, you know, working along him. Um, he was the head coach at Penrith first team at the time. And believe it or not, John knew every player from first team down to under 16s. He could name them. He literally studied his, what he called his squad, and his squad was 100 players or whatever. And um, he, uh, he wanted to bring me up to the reserve grade and be assistant coach there. Um, but um, there was a chance to come back to, um, to Wakefield. Uh, David Howes at the time was looking after me and, it, you know, he'd spoken to John Keir at the time and they wanted to get somebody back, you know, and, um, and I, fl I flew back myself, paid for my own airfares to fly back to Wakefield and luckily enough got the chance to just be the assistant and the reserve grade coach at the time. But obviously reserve grade back then wasn't quite the setup that we had when I was playing. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you were trading with two and three, four players at, on a, on a Tuesday, Thursday evening. So it, it was, um, you know, but it was nice just to get back and, and be, as I said, be amongst uh, familiar faces again. Was it, was it Warrington after that? Yeah. Warrington for a year. Um, again, unfortunately there, Jimmy Laws took me across and we had a really bad start. In fact, we got, I think we got pummeled by Wakefield at Wakefield in game four. Um, but I don't think um, I don't think we set off very well. I think we only won one out of the first three or four games, five games, and that's when Tony Smith, you know, was was introduced to Warrington. Great, great for the club, great coach, um, you know, uh, and, a, and a good guy. Um, but Tony had got his own ways, and his he wanted his own staff, and he knew that realistically I was only on a one year deal. So he mentioned more or less three or four months into it that he would be swapping his staff from strength conditioner to his assistant coaches and, and the like. So, um, and after coming back from Australia, and that was only two years of being back then, it, I just didn't really settle in, in rugby league again. It, you know, it was stop start. It was a year here and a year there. There was no certainty behind the next contract. So I'm honest, um, had enough of been in and around it to be honest here by then. I, don't, I didn't really want to sign another contract. I didn't really know what to do. Um, and that's when I decided not to not to continue coaching at the time until Scully rang me for some help at Barrow. Well, that was my next question. How, how, how did Barrow work for you? It didn't. I'll be honest with you. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was it was one of those things where you, you you know you're trying to do a favour for a for a mate at the time. And I mean, I'm based in London at the time. I was working in a a big gym in in Canary Wharf, and you know, down here with the girlfriend, now the wife at the time, and. Next thing you get a call, Scott had been given the Barrow job, but he wanted you to go up and assist him. And I'm like, well, it's a 600-mile round trip. When do you want me? And he literally said, can you get up on a Tuesday and a Thursday night? And I'm like, impossible. I said, but what I can do, I can get up there on the Friday afternoon, you know, because I finish, you know, I never worked in the gym on the Friday, so I can get up on the Friday and, and you know, stay the night and, and do the Saturday run-through. So I managed to do the, the last session of the week on the Friday, the run-through on the Saturday, and the game on a Sunday, then come back to London on Sunday evening, getting back down here for about midnight. So um, 
But again, unfortunately, Gary, five or six games in, it won't quite go into plan and, and Gary got the boot. But then Des, you know, I, I thought we were all going and I got a phone call off Des, would you be interested in staying on? And I'm like, <laughs> long way to coach full time. So I was with Clogger at the time, Martin Clawson, and, and I, I literally trusted him really to take the Tuesday session of, you know, the defence side of the game. And then I get up there on a Thursday to do what I could on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday with the boys and, and then put them out on the field on a Sunday. So, yeah, but um, it's a long old trip. And it, it's, again, probably just wanted to try and be a head coach myself and give it a shot with a pretty decent team, to be honest with you, at the time. But I spent a bit of cash in that division. So I was enjoying it, to be honest. I was enjoying the coaching side of it, just not the commute and the travel. Did you take Jamie Rooney with you as well? Was he there? It was there. I think Jamie had gone. Jamie was already there. Um, I think he'd signed the season before. Um, late on, I think he went for the last five or six, seven games and he just signed a, a new contract the year that Scoey took over. Um, and then obviously Jamie was there with me. Um, you know, Ned Caddick was up there. Um, you know, so they're, they're a decent team, I'll be honest with you. Um, and as I said, they were good lads. So I was enjoying. I was enjoying the fact that I was a head coach, and it was my my thoughts and how I was trying to coach at the time. So um, unfortunately, it was somewhere in the playoffs we were, and then Des pulled me after the defeat at Sheffield. Sheffield were doing really well under Mark Aston at the time, and I think we lost by two points at Sheffield. And Des rang me just as I literally got through the door after the match and said, "That'll be it, Nigel. You know, you're done." <laughs> And I, I said, well, why is that then, you know? And he more or less said, well, you're probably going to ask for more money next year. So we're going to terminate your contract now so we don't have to pay you anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> so they sacked me. But that was the end of it then. That was the last the last gig, really. Um, God love him. And he still keeps in touch nowadays and said he should never have done it. But uh, anyway, that was it. As we start to wind down, Nigel, do you look back on your, on your rugby league career fondly? Absolutely. Um, you know, the one injury cost me my career. Um, but if you start as a kid and you you can go through your career playing not as many games as what you possibly should have or could have, um, you know, play for your hometown team. Um, man of the match in a cup final. Youngest man of the match. Record transfer at the time for a teenager. Play for the Manchester United of Rugby League, Wigan. Win a premiership, win a challenge cup, win a championship represent your country, win a Yorkshire Cup, as I said. Um, some people don't get that throughout their career. I got it in five years. So, you know, as I said, no regrets at all. The, the, I suppose you can look at the one regret was catching the ball that I should never have caught because it wasn't for me. Um, and it snapped my ankle with the same tackle. So if I'd have left the ball for Martin like I should have done, who knows, I might have, uh, might have gone on to, to play a few more games. But... Fond memories, happy memories, great people that I met. Still good friends with a lot, a lot of people. And um, yeah, it's it's one uh, one I'll always uh, remember the, the career that I, I had and didn't have. Obviously, Nigel, with the error just before I started watching. But even if your name gets brought up down at Bellevue these days, it's always with a smile. It's always with really fond memories. It sounds like you're still kind of prominent in people's minds these days down at Bellevue. That must mean a, a lot to you. It certainly does. Um, again, by not being silly, it, I suppose sometimes it's not the amount of games you play. Sometimes it's what you do in the games that you play. Um, and being a local lad, I think a lot of people liken to that. You know, it's their own their own kid that came through and did good, um, and everybody likes that. You know, 
I personally do. I like to see local kids do really well and, and go on to bigger and better things. But, you know, um, I think a lot of people deep down know that I'm Wakefield through and through and I love the club. And, you know, if ever they want me to coach them, I'd still try and do that now. Do you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, Wakefield's, as I said, it's my home, it's my club. But still to get down there now and everybody still be friendly and happy to see me. And I think you look back on it, as I said, some people play two, three, four hundred games for the club and, and rightly so legends of the game. But sometimes you don't have to play that many to be recognised as what you did in the 50, 60 games that you did play. Um, obviously had an impact on a lot of people back then and, and still does. So, you know, I can't thank Wakefield fans enough for what they did back then and what they are still now. And and, and just to be recognised still is, a, is an honour by these, you know, by the loyal fans, I suppose. Very well put, Nigel, very well put. Last but not least, before we finish, tell us about Nigel in, uh, in 2022. What, what's, what do you get up to these days? Nigel 2022 is currently got a three-year-old daughter that we uh, we were trying for a long, long time to have, bless her. Um, so we've got our little miracle child running right around the house at the moment. So we, we, we're currently extending the house out the back to build a, a playroom. So that's taking the next two or three months of my life. Um, obviously, through lockdown, everything changed um, at home. Um, I'm a fitness instructor, personal trainer. I was in London, based in London, but a lot of the, uh, the clients that I had have now gone on to work online and they have the home gyms and things like that. And so I've managed to build a, a personal training studio at home here. So I get clients around at home. Um, yeah, so at the moment, I'm just adjusting to life in and around the family. Um, beautiful wife that we, you know, we do a lot of traveling and, and try to see as much of the family as we can. So I'm up and down as often as I can up to Wakefield. But yeah, it's, it's just to get the, uh, the life balance with doing what I want to do and also get the golf handicap down, things like that. That's not going to plan. So Gary Speed will be laughing at that bit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm just enjoying it, to be honest with you. Um, life's pretty good at the moment and, and business is good, work's good and, and the family are great. So um, I'm just looking forward to a, another good season for the Trinity and, and, you know, may the results continue as they have in the last couple of weeks and Willie Porch is doing a great job. So, you know, whatever they're showing that kind of spirit, Wakefield will be fine. Are you a happy man, Nigel? Happy as, yeah, very happy. Um, it's took a while, not, not in the last few years, I've been happy for a while, but when you look back on what the end of your career came like and where you went for a few years off the rails a little bit, yeah, life's good and um, and it's only going to get better. It's not as though you've got a special girl in your life, mate. If she put it with you going to Barrow every weekend all that time, she's worth keeping, mate, is she? She's a good one. Yeah, yeah. You don't get much better. And, uh, and she's a fanatic of rugby league. I'll be honest with you, she knows more about rugby league than I do. And what she doesn't know about the Burgess family is not worth saying, I'll be honest with you. She, she's been sorted by them when they were all playing in Australia because we... Uh, we travelled a lot down there to the gym to to see them. So we managed to, to watch a bit of the NRL. But yeah, Natalie's a, a great girl and she knows how to handle me in, in the right way. She knows when to let me loose a little bit and when to rein me in, which is what every good man needs. But um, yeah, she's uh, she's a great great wife and a great mum. And, uh, and yeah, she's a keeper. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Nigel Wright. Thank you so much for giving us just over an hour of your time. My absolute pleasure, guys. And, and I say good luck to the club. And all, and all that's doing well down there. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to watching a few more games as, as best I can when I can get up there.
Excellent stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 17 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide. Follow us on Facebook under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage banner and Twitter at WT Heritage Pod for further information. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to the legend that is Nigel Wright. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscomara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!